0: Hi and welcome to the ICTU Strategic Marketing Podcast episode number one. This is a podcast for people looking for a way to find their audience, make connections and change direction through marketing strategy and communications. Here we go. Taut, uh, welcome to the show, and could we just start off by, you know, we've been friends for a long time, let's just start off by having you tell uh, the people who are listening, or might be listening, who you are and what you do.
1: Well, when I'm not um, dominating friends like you uh, <laughs> in intergalactic warfare um, on Star Wars, I'm also uh, married to a pretty amazing... Um, Spanish teacher, uh, mother, wife, Julie, and uh, we've got three girls. And um, I also, for the last nine years, have been a part of a church uh, where I've been working with um, students there as uh, the director of youth ministry. And then I've also been doing some teaching at a few different local uh, middle schools. So,
0: Very good. Very good. All right. Um you've been you've been at the church for nine years now. Sheesh, I can't imagine being in one place for nine years. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. Some of us like to kind of plant our roots deep and then (laughs) stay there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Moss grows fat on a Rolling Stone. All right. So we uh we got together. This is episode one of this podcast, and uh we just finished teaching sort of a a four-week course at the church that we both attend on social media and how it uh, how it changes relationships or affects relationships or, or what the church's response is to social media and our relationships. And this the idea for this interview and this podcast kind of stems from that, where uh, you had cited in the course the Time Magazine article that came out, I don't know, a couple weeks ago probably now. Um, that talks about the millennial generation. Yeah. And in that article, you know, it it starts off by talking about, you know, talking pretty poorly about the millennial generation. Yeah, it um, does. And how this generation is more narcissistic than any previous generation. And I just wanted to, you know, you spend the majority of your professional time with this generation. So I just wanted to kind of get your take on Uh, When you read that, did you feel like that resonated? Yes, uh, this generation is uh, more narcissistic than previous generations, or or how did you react to that?
1: Yeah, I think um, my first reaction um, was, uh, I I think I was kind of disgusted um, in that this article would try to indict uh, children and um, make a statement Uh, about children as though it was children's fault. Narcissism seems like it's a pretty strong um, claim to make about a group of people and to lump them together and say they are um, inherently more self-centered and concerned with their own well-being than others. So um, I I think I was just kind of put off by the fact that they would make, um, you know, a claim about children like that. Um, without maybe even considering, uh, some of the, the factors and, uh, you know, even taking sort of credit, um, in, within the adult community for why potentially children, um, could be, uh, to, you know, becoming more narcissistic. So I think what the article actually points to is this <laughs> a really growing divide between, um, young people and older folks, um, sociologically there's this trend where the the age of adolescence or that time where um, children are becoming adults is you know um, in the last 50 years we've kind of developed this category called adolescence since world war ii and uh that that category um continues to grow and grow um where people are now kind of late into their 20s before they're um, you know, exercising a level of maturity that we would consider adult-like. So when you think about millennials, you're thinking about people born, um, you know, 1981, I think, and after.
0: Yeah, the article uh, says 1980 and after, 80. but uh, yeah. And we're you and I, you know, full disclosure, are pretty close to that. I mean, in a lot of ways we probably some have some of the us are closer than others. <laughs> okay, so I was born in 1978. When what year were you born? I
1: was 81. So 81. I technically okay. am a millennial. You're like a Gen Xer. So, so we're totally different.
0: Yeah, I'm complete that's why I don't relate to you very well. I
1: know. That's why we have a difficult time connecting. <laughs> There's something that's But was... you
0: got you've got two feet planted in the millennial generation. Not Now you keep uh, you know you say children but um, is the article really talking about, when you say children, I think uh, of, of kids, and the article is kind of talking about, um, you know, young adults, late teens, young adults who are entering. Well,
1: well that's that's the interesting thing with this new um, emergent or, or um, extended adolescence is we're talking about people in their 20s mm-hmm. who function in a lot of ways like teenagers um, who rely heavily upon the influence of their parents um, financially, they're still you know um uh you know it connected to to their fam- familiar relationships um they're not independent in that way um and then uh, you know the growing trend is kids graduate from college and uh, they' they're just they have so much debt um that they're forced to sort of go back and and live at home not to mention uh you know the the market um the people that it hits hardest are you know these emerging Adults or or extended adolescence. Um, so, you know, Lenny, the the thing that concerns me, I guess, is that um, the the reason for the growing adolescence. Uh, some sociologists, and primarily, I've drawn from a guy out of Fuller Seminary named Chap Clark, uh, but he would say that the primary reason for this extended adolescence is that adults have have sort of Left kids to fend for themselves, um, and kids in this world of of you know being marketed to um, and being left to uh, their own devices um are taking longer to mature.
0: yeah, you um, mentioned you know be, as we were kind of getting ready for uh, for doing this episode, you had mentioned that uh, you know in growing up, adults have neglected uh some of the key points of of, of raising kids or somehow kind of left them to fend for themselves and and I think you say here you know they're in survival mode. What what do you mean? What what does that mean by survival mode?
1: Well if you think about it so the the initial the structures that we created and this is mostly coming out of again Chap Clark at Fuller Seminary and he he's written some good stuff on this. Um, but primarily the the structures that we created for kids were there to help them uh little league was supposed to be so kids could have a place to play that was organized that would be safe uh you know it was for the kids school was so they could learn and so that they could grow and mature and um you know uh develop into whatever model citizens like you and me um but what what's be, kind of happened is those structures that instead have become about the adults that serve them. Um, so this is why uh, you know you cannot fire a teacher within public education. It's if you've seen have you seen Waiting for Superman?
0: No, um, I I remember when it came out and it was kind of a phenomenon and I wanted to see it but I I kept watching things like Batman Returns and things so
1: yeah yeah good Instead. stuff like that
0: yeah
1: well in in waiting for Superman, they go through this uh, that it 's one out of twenty five hundred teachers um, is is fired and it's something like one out of fifty uh, doctors and uh, teachers it 's next to impossible uh, once they are tenured to remove them from the system so um, you know it, it's just uh, it 's a system and and they're the ones who are measured now when it comes to standardized testing, so you ask most teachers and they kind of feel vulnerable to the system and feel like what they really long to do in in terms of caring and educating for kids can't be done anymore. Most coaches, uh, you know, and I say most, but this is kind of what the research points to are concerned with winning and their reputations. And it's no, it's no longer about a safe place for kids to, to play. It's about uh, that coach's ego and reputation. And so um, kids kind of get the impression uh, in a lot of places that adults can't be trusted. And so Chap Clark says what they do then is create a world beneath. It was interesting. I recently sent an email home to some parents about something that had happened in my class, um, and it was something that you know I wanted them to talk to their kids about. And instead of dialoguing with me about what what had happened, there, three out of the four responses I got was, it wasn't my kid, was it? And so there was a sense, I think, where the parents even felt like insecure, uh, potentially, and um, they weren't necessarily concerned about their child's well-being so much as maybe their reputation um, as as a parent. And so I see it all over the place, over and over and over. And I and I'm, I mean, in churches where we can be equally as guilty of it. Um, you know, students show up to an event, and uh, there's not as many as maybe you know had been hoped for or planned for, and. The first thing out of our mouth is, "Hey, is this it? You know, is this is it only going to be the five or ten or twenty of you or whatever tonight?" And so those five or ten or twenty kind of hear, "Oh, we're not. It's not about us being important. It's about this person putting on the show and getting as many people Mm -hmm. here as possible." So you know, that's that's relatively new. I think um, is that kids are seen as a means to an end. Um,
0: They're a program.
1: They're yeah. They're they're a program. They're. you know, it's not primarily about their nurture or their care. And so, uh, you know, they end up creating a world um, beneath and and where they kind of are raising themselves, almost sort of Lord of the Flies-ish. But this world um, has an an entirely different uh, vocabulary. Um, It has a different set of morals. It has a different kind of spirituality. Um, And, you know, it's why when adults started going on Facebook, uh, kids bounced, you know, they, they left it. They found their own thing because they want, they, they want autonomy. Um, so I know your next question is going to say, isn't this how it's always been? <laughs>
0: uh, not, not quite. That's not where I was going, but it may be where I go next. But you know, when you talk about it like that, I, I don't disagree with you, but when you talk about kind of the, the survival mode, um, how does that lead to a postponement of adulthood? You because know, in in this article it talks about, uh, you've already mentioned it. Uh, he calls it twixters or something. You know, this the idea that um, they're postponing their adulthood or they're uh, slowing down the, their their maturation process, right? Going back <laughs> and living with their parents. How does that survival? It doesn't seem like it correlates.
1: Well, there's a disconnect, right, between the two worlds. So how do you learn to get better at something? You hang out with somebody who's good at that thing, right? This is kind of the traditional way of um, teaching someone a new skill. You want to become a cement man, which was what my dad did. Uh, You know, you go work out in the field and you learn about cement and you stand next to somebody who's better than you and then they train you in that direction. So how do you learn how to become an adult? Well, not with hanging out with other kids. So what we do is we take in Redlands, um, we have uh, three high schools of over 2,000, I think two over 3,000. So we've got about 10,000 high schoolers in our city. We stick them all together. So how are you going to grow um, when you know, you're know you with people that are just like you? you? You mature by being around people that are more mature than you, that are pulling you in a direction. And so... Uh, parents and kids together um you know spending time together um when adults are involved in in their you know adolescents lives that's how they mature hmm. does that make sense so you you get you become more of an adult when you are with people who are adults
0: okay so then let's bring social media into the conversation because You know, millennials invented social media, and this is their primary um, claim to to innovation in the past ten decade or so. And uh, you know, previous generations, uh, especially the baby boomers, have been catching up. And and this the article that we've been talking about in Time magazine talks about how millennials. According to one study or one test, and you always have to question uh, the merits of of whatever study and test that they're citing. But according to this study, that millennials are less empathetic uh, than previous generations and lack some sort of a, a social social skills that previous generations had. And they cite it. They cite social media as. Uh, contributing to that because of both a lack of face-to-face time and uh, and their higher degree of narcissism when it's, you know, social media kind of lends itself to the all-about-me generation where where you build yourself up, uh, you build your personal brand on your chosen media sites. Uh, and this article talks about how that's, that leads to uh, a lack of empathy uh, for for, stu- for kids growing up.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, it's interesting. I think um, so. A couple times a year, I'll spend uh, multiple days um, with a group of students doing something, and sometimes we're on a, you know, a trip where we're in a in a different state. Um, we're serving uh, the last couple years on a Navajo reservation, and um, it, always in those places, I'm pretty amazed by how moved kids are by the stories of people that they're with. Uh, how they're able to empathize with each other, um, how they're able to care for one another, how they um, are able to care for the, the people in the culture that we're in, and um, and really show pretty deep levels of concern for for other folks. Uh, now,
0: now, let me interrupt just because it, now you work with you work with a group of kids that I think uh, most people would envy anybody to work with because they're they're kids who are engaged and involved in the church and. Do you think that that is representative of the larger generation, or are you working with? Yes, yeah, I don't think subset? there's anything.
1: No, I don't think there's anything too special or unique about the kids that I work with. In regards to that, they're just normal, and I'm being. Well, just, I hope
0: you know, they're. I'm, I hope they're listening to that. That's
1: yeah, nice. no, they're great. I I love them because I know them, but I, I don't know that they're any different. Too, I mean, they're not too different than, you know, your average American teenager. They struggle with the same things. They, you know, have a lot mostly the same. Uh, issues and problems they, they hate studying for exams you know um, they feel overwhelmed and anxious at times they're excited by by beauty you know they they love uh, their friends um, their parents are really really important to them millennials are all really connected to their parents so I don't think there's actually too big of a difference between the kids I work with even though they're more um, affluent and probably um, in some better schools uh, they're they're mostly similar in the you know, just their, their DNA and, and, you know, what makes them kids. So their, you know, their ability to, to empathize with, with others, I think is pretty, um, well, what I think it points to, I was going to say is, uh, the social networking, it points to a longing to connect, right? Like there's a desire to connect with others. And again, part of the, the, I think one of the issues that we have structurally is there's just kind of a fracture in in families within families, and the people that um, feel that hardest are, are kids. There's a fracture within um, communities and neighborhoods, and the people that feel that hardest are, are kids. And so they're growing up and they're longing to connect. You know, they're they're really um, looking for ways to connect with each other um, and connect with somebody. And so today I was in a in a home where uh, the, the kid was, he's 16 and, um, I was just waiting for, uh, for his folks. And, and at one point, um, you know, his, his grandmother yelled at him, uh, why are you always on that thing? You know, what are you doing on that thing on his phone? <laughs> you know, who And he says, I'm, I'm talking to my friends. And she's, you know, it, she just couldn't like put her wrap her mind around that, that, this was his way of connecting. She says, "All day you're you're talking with him all day, you know." But there's this real longing for connection. I think I think it it's born out of this loneliness that he has, and this desire to be understood by somebody, you know, to be loved by somebody. And you know, Chap Clark says the thing that all teenagers have in common. Um, his book is called Hurt. You know, they're they're hurt. They feel isolated and lonely and misunderstood. And now that's kind of a sad picture of of like the American teenager. But, um, you know, what what I find primarily is like that's that's kind of the case. They they feel there are very few places where they can go and be and be really understood.
0: Now it's it's funny you say that um, that description of teenagers. It seems to me. That that's always been the description of the teenage angst of the of the loneliness of being a teenager of feeling like everybody's watching you all the time and um, it seems like you know I was listening to a podcast today uh, and the guy was talking about um, how you know it's his love for science fiction and how when he was growing up twenty years ago or whatever. Uh, he kind of had to to hide the books that he would bring home from the library by Isaac Asimov and other science fiction novel uh, writers because uh, it, you know it wasn't easy being a nerd back then, and it's a lot easier being a nerd now because you know it's so much easier to connect with people that have similar interests that share your interests, so it's it's easier to find find out that, you know, there are a lot of people that, that like science fiction. And so you don't have to feel that loneliness, that isolation that you did 20 years ago when you were maybe the only one in your small school uh, that had this interest. And now you can go on the web and, and uh, find all kinds of people who have the same interest.
1: Well, that that is the really interesting thing about, um, you know, uh, I think the nature of friendships now among students is, they're no longer based on this the, a clique mentality where it's all the jocks or it's all the yeah um you know it's all the the kids who are into whatever you are into science fiction and you know putting wearing flannel pajamas or whatever your club was <laughs> you know it's it's not about those things um, it's more about uh, just finding connections and then sharing a story and there there are books about uh, these clusters of of students, um, mid adolescents and late adolescents. uh, and these, these clusters or they, they essentially become a tribe where right. they take, they take on a story of their own, a narrative of their own. Um, they take on rules of their own. There's a certain uh, morality and spirituality to each of these tribes that's, you know, unique to its itself. It's a group of, you know, three to 10 individuals who make up this, this, you know, this tribe and they could be, They could have connected on the internet or or in chemistry class or, you know, wherever. But, uh, yeah, it is really interesting that um, there are greater opportunities. But there's still a problem for me, Len, in that the bridge into adulthood um, is not so clear. You know, I think before there was a clearer path uh, to maturation. And now...
0: Because everybody took the same path, it seemed like, you know...
1: Well, because kids knew adults. You ask kids how many, you know, ask a 17-year-old or even ask ask a 20-year-old. Um, I have students who I come in and I, and I, I you know, have lunch with college students or, or post-college students. And I say, you know, what would it look like for you to develop um, a relationship with three adults? They're struggling. They're looking for, for a job. They have, a, a you know, a degree in history or, or something. And they're looking for a job. And I say, well, what would it look like for you to develop a few relationships tell me three adults in your life that you know you have a good relationship and sometimes they struggle to find one like beyond their parents Mm. they can't name an adult that they have a a good relationship with that they know that they can tap into their network and that's unique because when i was i mean even when i was a kid uh, you know my parents had friends and i knew what they did and if i needed something you know then i could i could potentially go to them but you know, and I think 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, that was a lot more common. I mean, even things like summer jobs, right? Like kids could land summer jobs here all the time. People talking about, oh, when I was in summer, I do this. I, more and more, I'm talking to kids. I'm like, what are you doing this summer? Summer school. You know, they're going doing right back school. Into school. Yeah, <laughs> and I think, it, I think it's part of the, part of the reason. It's just because there's a disconnect between those two worlds, and I think technology is yeah it's it's uh, or social media um becomes all a part of that world beneath you know and part
0: of the divide between the generations because their own generation is on social media and and the adults uh are not and so they're they're not hanging with the adults they're not communicating with the adults
1: exactly and they want their own language and that's why i mean uh you know it was facebook first and now whatever the hot thing becomes and all the, you know, the kids and the young people jump on uh, once adults infiltrate that, they're going to bounce, you know, they're going to smell because primarily, and here's the thing, and this is a scary thing. um, They just don't trust adults. Uh, The most marketed group is um, that, that, you know, 10 to 14. That's the group. And I know you're into marketing and you're the worst for it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but, but you you know marketers uh primarily target that age group 10 to
0: 14 10
1: to 14
0: because that's when they're developing habits or or why do you think that is
1: yeah that's where they're um they've got some pull um in terms of what you know is purchased within their home they've got access to uh you know to their their parents um, and their parents, uh, sometimes you find these like rhythms where parents want to kind of appease and even like feel some guilt about their lack of relationship. And so they sort of, uh, you know, appease that with, with the purchasing. So power.
0: is that leading to a distrust of adults? Where's Where's the connection between those two things?
1: Oh yeah, completely. Um, that is the connection that, uh, kids feel it. They may not be able to name it, but they feel it in, uh, in school. The adults want them for their grade. They feel it in sports. The adults want them for their ability. They feel it in, um, you know, things that are advertised to them. Um, that and so they they get over what five thousand messages or something uh, daily. Well, uh, let me just
0: let me just push back, not because I feel like I have this compulsive need to defend Uh, marketing <laughs> uh yeah. but I I almost feel like I want to defend the savviness of. Uh, kids today because I think we're dealing with the smartest consumers of all ages uh, that we've ever that history has ever known you know kids are smart they they can tell a sales pitch uh, when they when they smell one coming and and they know how to avoid it or not listen to it or tune it out I, I think kids are are savvy enough to know the difference between uh, a sales pitch and and something that's more authentic or, you know, do you disagree or?
1: No, I think I, I, I think I do agree. Um, but I think it points to something that's just kind of, I don't know. I think it's sad. Like the fact that marketer that people would sit in a room and consider how to make money on children. Like that's sad to me when, you know, in all your classes in marketing, I don't know if you ever talk about the ethic of marketing to children, uh, that that to me is like no marketers
0: marketers don't have to take any ethics classes okay yeah, all right they, yeah, it's not part of the coursework
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think that like that's that concerns me you know um that's so that always was... been
0: good. that that went on when we were growing up and and when our parents were growing up though they were selling toys and, and... the
1: difference is they weren't necessarily shaped by i mean you're talking about 5000 messages a day and pr- i think for the most part kids are um, immune at, at this point. I don't know that they kind of check into any of those things. Um, you know, know there's there's anything. I think that's why you see so many like commercials that are just have nothing to do with a product. I'm just thinking of like the Old Spice commercials mm. um, with what's his name. Yeah. Um, that are hilarious, and so they require nothing of you. It's just like old. Here's it's old entertainment. Like, it's just entertainment, and yeah. so entertainment doesn't require any you know, but you have a a positive experience with this brand and, um, yeah.
0: Well, let's, let's switch gears just a little bit because this, uh, this podcast is, uh, kind of focused on business and, and marketing and, and management and things like that. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've seen in my experience is managers who are running companies, small businesses, whatever really struggle with relating to, the millennial generation as workers, as employees. And so, uh, you know, you've, you've seen books out there that talk about how to manage the millennial generation, and it's not really in a positive light. It's, a, you know, the, they call them the trophy generation, and um, there's an article cited <laughs> in the Time magazine that calls them the dumbest generation. Um, you know, what what <laughs> advice... How how would you talk to someone in the baby boomer generation who's running a company or a small business and it has employees from the millennial generation? What advice would you give them as to how to manage them, how to relate to them and how to how to encourage their those workers to perform at their best and be motivated for the. Company?
1: Yeah. Well, a, a couple of things. Um, first off, I just had this conversation with, with somebody today. Uh, who was formerly a baseball coach but basically gave up baseball because of that reason because everyone needed a trophy or nobody could get a trophy like <laughs> the winners couldn't get the trophy it was you know it had to be if anyone was going to get it it wasn't going to be the entire league so they were they just were fed up with that um so there is there's definitely something to that um now but you can't i can't
0: blame you can't blame the millennials for that that's the generation before them that did that
1: it is yeah. it is right yeah so, so and and the the cool thing about that is there's kind of a leveling of the playing field there's There's very little like uh positional authority um in the millennial in millennial culture hmm. like the the best idea is generally the one that will win out or sometimes it's just uh you know what wins out is is loyalty um to a, a certain right to their tribe or their cluster or whatever. Um, so I think if you really if you really want to uh, be a, an amazing boss um, to millennials, um, you need to do a couple things. One, um, you need to learn to listen to what they're after and their pass their passions and, the, and their their dreams, um, and try to connect those to your company. Um, and two, I think you need to be flexible. Um, you need to be flexible with uh, you know potentially. Um, their learning and their ability to, to learn, they, you know, you said they're the dumbest generation ever. Um, they may also be the most loyal, you know? Um, and so I think if they do find a niche, like granted that, I don't know if you've seen that shift happens video. Um, but yeah, there are, I don't remember exactly the number, but the amount of shift happening within the workplace among millennials is just ridiculous. But I think for, you know, when, when kids do find something, where they feel appreciated and listened to and heard and feel like they're a part of something meaningful um, and a meaningful story in the workplace and there's room for them to grow, I think um, that's a significant thing. I think also offering an understanding that, hey, at 23 or 24, um, you don't have an adult. You have an emerging adult. You don't have somebody who's going to be, um, you know, not until they're 30. That's when they're going to be good. But if you can, in those next three or four or five years, um, tap into – uh, their passions, um, they're going to give you a lot more than just a 40-hour work week. You know, um, they're going to give you uh, what, you know, everything they got, even beyond work. And so I, I work mostly with volunteers. Um, but what I've seen among them is that when I can, you know, tap into something that's meaningful to them, um, I mean, then time doesn't become kind of a, an issue. When it's important to them, they're going to, they'll do it beyond you know, the, the work day or, or yeah. the, the time allotted to them.
0: I agree and, and and I think it's important that the work has a purpose uh, for this gen for these workers because they're they're very mission oriented, they're purpose purpose driven to borrow an overused term. Yeah. Um, and it's important to them that it's not just a nine to five job that they're you know, these 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 guys are not um, worried about their families and paying the mortgage, they want to have a fulfilling life. Right. And, when I, and I agree with you. One of the best things you can do is when you hire them, sit down with them and talk to them about what their dreams are, what they want to accomplish, and how you can help them accomplish that. And just by asking that question, you know, how can I help you accomplish what you're after here? Um, I think that's a big step for for uh, managers and bosses uh, to approach this generation as a worker and I think I think they'll be surprised at what happens when they ask that question and accept yeah. ex- the fact that we no longer have a workforce that is intent on doing their 40 years of work in the same company and getting the golden watch and retiring with a, a big birthday or a big retirement cake anymore you know the The workers of today, uh, they may have not just seven or eight jobs in their lifetime, but they may have seven or eight careers in their lifetime with several jobs within each career. And that's common, and that's going to become more common. And uh, a speaker that I heard just a a few weeks ago said, you know, when I hire somebody, one of the first things I ask him, I tell him, you know, you're going to work for me for, I don't know, one, two years, or three years what do you want to get done in that three years? How can I help you uh, accomplish or move toward a goal that you have? And I just thought that was that was a super smart question to ask and a, a really intelligent and mature way to approach this workforce, knowing that they're not going to stay with you for 30 years. That's it's right. not going to happen. So right. stop expecting that, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, just seeing them as somebody uh, you know that you can use as a means to your end. I think uh, organizations that take a development bent and see their primary task as developing the people within their organization um, do a lot you know do a lot better. Have you have you done, seen anything with Gore Tex and what they're what they're doing?
0: Well, i you know in in the marketing school that you uh, so candidly uh,
1: Not. put yeah.
0: down, yeah. Uh, we do talk about Gore-Tex as a case study in management because one of the things that they do is they allow every employee to to play with the product and and use the product and come up with any idea that they um, they see fit to solve a problem or or whatever. And so that they their management style is very flat. Yeah, you know. So what's what's the story that you're that comes to life? Oh, well,
1: I think field? I think they also take a team approach, and and people can be a part of different projects, and then actually, they're they're the leader of that project is picked by the the peers, right. so the people on that team pick the leader. And I think one of the things that it points to is there's a, a a respect and a longing for competence within a, a field. Um, like I was talking earlier about authority, there's there's less of a a, a because kids don't necessarily trust adults they don't teachers have to earn respect it's not that kids don't respect teachers um, it's that uh, some teachers they don't feel are respectable
0: it's not so automatic anymore
1: it's not there's not a just a deference to, to an adult because they've been burned you know they've been uh, culturally sort of that bridge has been burned and so now they're looking for people that they can really trust so I think where they do see competence and where they do see um, you know a, a bosses or supervisors who take interest in them and care about them um, beyond what they can do for the organization. Uh, there's there's success even in retention. Um, those people stay because, you know, I think that's what they want. Their dreams are heard, they're listened to, and they're working towards something together. Uh, but, you know, that's a, that's a shift in the culture of a lot of companies when it used to be about the bottom line. Um, I think in the long run, it still is about the bottom line. I just think you can go a lot. Um, you know the the speed of trust, uh, Covey. What's his name? Stephen Covey's um, mm-hmm. son, I think, has a book called The Speed of Trust, and just talks about what trust does within an organization, right? Um, and how much uh, more efficient it makes it when you know there's a sort of a caring and nurturing environment within the workplace. So
0: the other point that um, I want to get in here uh, about millennials and and even Gen Xers is. That a lot of managers don't really understand necessarily is that a paycheck isn't enough
1: anymore. Right.
0: A paycheck doesn't uh, doesn't motivate a lot of, most of these workers nearly as much as autonomy and flexibility and knowing that you are a valued contributor to the organization. Those things sp- speak volumes. Um, <laughs> speak <laughs> completely distracting me on skype so, <laughs> thanks <that>. nick <laughs> you know those things are more important to to these workers than a paycheck you can't expect to pay your workers more and then automatically gain their loyalty
1: well what was your best job that you've had so far i mean you're just on the cusp of the millennial generation there but what was uh i mean when you look, look at your jobs and go i oh, think that was my best one what was it for you
0: You know, when I think of each job, I think there were good times and bad times, but I can say that uh, the good times were always when I felt that I was at a high point in my contribution to the company moving forward and that I was a part of the the inner circle sort of, of influencing the direction of the company that when I my ideas were taken seriously and that, uh, I was valued enough to be allowed some autonomy and some flexibility. Th- those were the points in my, in that job that I was on cloud nine with working there. It wasn't work anymore. It was fun. Um, and I felt like I was contributing in a yeah. positive
1: way. Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let me wrap up here. Um, uh, I appreciate you, uh, being, Guest number one. Yeah, I feel uh, for this Podcast. I, it, it's it's uh it's a lot of fun. I'm sure we'll do this again. Hope cause, so. Uh, you're you're good to have on the show for a lot of reasons, uh, not least of which is uh, is your experience with uh, with this generation, but also your experience with just social societal thinking and psychology and, and sociology and all kinds of stuff.
1: I appreciate that.
0: Tell people, um, you know this. The show, I'm hoping, evolves into something that kind of celebrates uh, individual projects and sort of the entrepreneurial spirit. Just tell people uh, some of the things that, uh, that you're working on currently or that you have in mind, some, some projects that you're interested in doing uh, on your own.
1: Yeah, well, unlike a lot of millennials, I got married when I was 22, so I'm celebrating my 10-year anniversary. That's a project. Yeah, yeah, that's in August, and so we're planning out a trip, and you'll probably be involved in that at some point. Uh, We're going to have some friends. I'm
0: going to be involved in your anniversary?
1: Yeah, well, you know, Julie and I were talking, and we like each other best when we're with people that we love. (laughs) And so, you know, we just have this pretty deep commitment to community, and uh, so we just, yeah, we're excited about planning something that will be a blessing to to our friends uh, because we like we just love watching each other interact when there's people around. So anyway, that's a project ten year anniversary trip uh, this August. Um, I'm actually going to be uh, taking a class um, and doing some training in life coaching, uh, which I know five years ago you and I sat eating uh, at the Chronic Thai Basil. And um talked about this ridiculous idea of becoming life coaches. And so I'm actually gonna see it through. <laughs> nice. So um and I will I will give you a session for free. Hey, because... Sign
0: me up. Sign me up. I'll be uh, I'll, I'll I'll be knocking down your door for some life coaching for okay. sure. All right, all
1: you right. Know,
0: and since that talk I've I've heard it <laughs> It's actually become more and more credible in my mind because I've heard other people. I listened to another podcast today, uh, and what the guest on the podcast is a life coach. I'll send you the link. Okay. Uh, so,
1: but yeah, I didn't. When we were talking, I didn't even know it existed, but apparently yeah. it was a thing, and it's becoming more of a thing. So I'm excited about pursuing that. Um, there's a couple other things that are just happening right now that I'm really excited about. One is uh, there. We just uh, launched. To, today actually moved them in um, a few interns who are going to be serving and doing some asset-based community development um, near a, a public school that our church has kind of adopted. And so um, I'm excited about what that looks like in terms of just helping people kind of uncover the and mining the assets right within their own community. Um,
0: is there a way, you know, especially with that kind of a project – is there a way that you can tell people who might be listening how they might learn more about that project or even get involved with that?
1: Yeah, the uh, two of the interns will be blogging about their experiences. So if they go to Twitter, you can um, follow uh, the River CRC. So it's just the River CRC. At the
0: yeah. River CRC,
1: okay. Uh-huh. At the River CRC, and you can follow that Twitter account. Um, And there are links to their blogs on there, and they're kind of blogging some of their experiences and um, some pictures from their time in that community uh, near uh, the local elementary school. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes. It's a 10-week thing, but the the kind of the the 10-year dream is to have some strategic neighbors within that community, um, just learning uh, how to um, mine the the assets uh, that are already there um, to help people, uh, uncover and discover solutions, um, from within their own kind of assets instead of necessarily going outside of themselves. So, um, yeah, but I'm excited about that. The other thing that I'm kind of pumped about is, um, Julie and I are, our uh, our oldest daughter will be going to kindergarten. And one of the things that we'd really like to see is her become a fluent Spanish speaker. And so there's some talk, um, we're, we're just trying to get a, a Spanish immersion program off the ground here in Redlands, and so in the next hopefully year and a half, we'll see some sort of rumblings, and maybe even in two thousand fourteen, the fall of two thousand fourteen, a program launching where um, students, you know, like like my daughter and your daughter, will uh, will go to school in in Spanish for the entire day. I'm all for it
0: all for it
1: well, there you go so you're signed up yeah for sure all right,
0: all right yeah. cool well uh thanks again nick for being on the uh launch episode of the ictus marketing podcast appreciate it and i'm sure we'll do it again so thanks man
1: all right see you brother see you
2: That's not how the story goes When do heroes play it safe? Got a job and a family home, oh, not a single golden egg and a pocket full of pass up the tears Hey ho Jack, when will you plan magic? Tell me, Jack, what scared you so? What made you hide those beans and run? Did you hear the rumors? of the feet by four and fun? Were you frightened of the things you just might see? Hey, old Jack, go oh, if you plan. The things you just might see Hey-ho Jack, oh, if you plan oh. Jack, it's not too late, you know Sow those seeds of faith So throw them out your window Asleep and when you wake Things will happen Things you never dare to dream They won't happen unless you plan them Magic